and welcome to Horus Heretics episode 38. I'm William. I'm Neil. And today we are going to finish off our discussion of The Outcast Dead by Graham McNeil. Neil, where, where do we pick this one up? Well, um, I think we left it, um, our main people, Kai and Roxanne. Uh, Roxanne hadn't been in it for ages. Um, she had basically given her ring, which was the symbol of her house, Castana, uh, and given it to a little boy called Arik. And that was sort of symbolized her leaving behind her old life and joining these people. But we didn't really know more than that. Our boy Kai, he had been uh, taken prisoner by the Legio Custodes, um, who were going to drill out his uh, the information which had been given to him by Sarashina. And um, Evander had pretty much let that happen. So um, that's where we were at the end of the last book. The way it starts in this one is uh, in the sort of rem- reminiscences of a uh, prisoner uh, who's in a psi-resistant chamber. And he is uh, one of the crusading hosts who we heard sort of about in the last bit, but not very much. He's uh, one of the Astartes that have been taken prisoner. Uh, on earth because their legions are they don't know whether they are loyal or part of the heresy he's a thousand son um his names are tava and uh there was a little bit he, he sort of lists through all the different cults of the thousand sons that we've heard about on prospero burns um and there are you know the the ones who can play with fire and destructive magic there's ones who can tell the future um there are ones who can uh do all kinds of shit he basically says he can do it all <laughs> yeah yeah a little bit of everything <laughs> yeah and i at that point that was a real bad start for me because i was just like oh okay so he's just going to be able to just have the, he's the full multi-tool you know he's the swiss army <laughs> knife whenever something needs doing he will be able to do it, whatever it is. And that's just a bit boring, really. Yeah. You know, like whenever whenever you get into superhero movies or comic books or something and the new superhero is, oh, I can, my power is that I have all the powers. Yeah. It's, it's, not, it's not fun. It's the, the interest lies in the limitations <clears throat> to the power and, and how that is sort of worked with in the story. Um, so not a great start. Yeah, I, to be honest, like I thought the whole book slumped a bit at the the early stages of part two. Right. So Roxanne, who you mentioned, pretty much disappears from the story entirely until near mm-hmm. the end. So in this, so it turns out they're in a a, a big prison inside a mountain. These <laughs> um, space marines um, uh, who, well, I'll get back to that in a second. But Kai is also. Um, in this prison, essentially, being with two people trying to extract the secrets from his mind that were put in there by the demon or whatever it was that possessed Sarashina in part one. And yeah. they they have um, two people, two kind of head doctors, um, <laughs> which... They're, like, they, they, they're basically like trepanation doctors. There's a really awkward line that I I just hadn't really read so awkward a line in such a long time, where um, they're called Psy Augers, and they say, we're Psy Augers. That's Augers with an E. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, so you drill. You're not like, um, you know, Augers of the future. You're not, you know, that. So they're, I, I just thought that was such a clunky line. But they don't when, physically drill, right? They like psychically drill psychically drill but you know th- what on earth are, are they doing saying spelling their job that was a clunker and no mistake <laughs> yeah um but this weirdly reminded me of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind um oh god it's been a long time since <laughs> i've seen that or um like there's this sort of indie rpg called to the moon have you played that um i've heard it and it's just, just because it's like 
a man and woman who work as in a job where they're trying to extract someone's something from someone's mind and they have a bit of kind of like uh, a rapport between them just reminded me of that um mm-hmm. uh, yeah so they're doing that and they're not succeeding basically yeah, they're they're going into Kai's like dream space thing, the the sort of desert and his fortress that um, we read about in the last one. Yeah. And when they go in there, they encounter the Argo, just like Kai encountered before, and uh, they see that he can't control it, and they have to escape um, while doing like some minor damage to themselves. And they're uh, they're trying all time types of shit. They're like pretending to be other people and things like that. And yeah, it's taken it's taking months. And Kai is sort of like physically, it's taking a toll. Mentally, it is, uh, and he is sort of really losing it. And to be honest, now that I reflect on it, it takes too long in terms of the book as well. This section, like, and anyway, their boss is this guy called Saturnalia. Uh, <laughs> I love that name. <laughs> He's um, a custodian. He's basically like, why can't you just get this out of this man's mind? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just, just if you can't do it, I'll go in with my hands and get it. <laughs> if you can't psychically draw it out, then I will physically draw it out with this giant spear with a gun on the end of it. Yeah. So he, that's taken ages, and then so at the same time, this um, Thousand Sons guy at Tharva is um, kind of plotting. Uh, his escape from this very high security prison, and so the prison is like it has a few custodians in it, but it's also uh, manned by people from the Imperial Guard, basically that from various regiments that, for one reason or another, have been like seconded to work in this high security prison. Yeah, there's there is some talk that they're all different guard units and stuff, and a lot of a lot of paper was spent on describing how secure this prison was. Yeah, I mean, like, like <laughs> well, it's, it's inside a mountain. Yeah, there, it's it's got a a, a bottomless pit. <laughs> if you remember that. Yeah. Um, it's got like cannons just aimed ready to like destroy absolutely anything and everyone. But yet, it's used as a sort of punishment secondment for these uh, guard units like this guy thinks he's all that so you know uh, a few months guarding the most dangerous prisoners in the galaxy that'll do him good you know? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah no you're, you're you're right this like situation um and the one bit you didn't mention there i think is that they're on a fo- the, this highest security part of this prison is like a floating island um yes. in the middle of this chasm with like more guns than you can possibly imagine, like stuck all over the walls. Or the floating, the, the floating island is like kept up by like grav suspension things, so that if anything happens, they can just cut the power to those, and the floating island will just fall to the bottom of this bottomless pit. Yeah, and right, I'll tell you something right now about these. You've already alluded to this, right? So, <laughs> this um, Atharva and the other people imprisoned here, who turns out are space marines from various legions, who have all sided with the the, the heresy. Um, and and that is how I'm going to refer to them in future because I couldn't pronounce any of their names and didn't write any of them down <laughs> because they, they they are practically faceless uh, hulks of. Uh, space marine just ciphers generic space marine ciphers for their the characteristics of their various legions essentially yeah um you've alluded to it already but i was like right the structure of this book is weird because you find out these this what are no these this is what the title the outcast dead is referring to it's these guys right and then you realize all oh, right okay so this is that bit a bit earlier with the people with japanese names mm-hmm. uh fighting these guys i think or or the force that they were with as part of what do they call it the the crusade crusader hosts or something yeah the crusader host crusader host right and i thought all right okay for some reason they're like gonna explain this like backwards you know it's we're gonna find out at the end what that was all about we don't Um, not at all unless i literally skipped a chapter no no it just it it just happened without the the author mentioning (laughs) 
<laughs> so, but it's talked about all the way through it as if you know what this is and you yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's mad. It's it's like, it, I, I really wonder, I've said this many times before, why are these fucking books written in two parts? It's a book. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I, I often wonder if like it's done by, you know, the author's saying, they're on commission. Like they're like, I can get you a hundred pages now. Uh, I've got a few other jobs I need to knock out, and then I'll get back to it. And then they just start again because there's no like, where the fuck's Roxanne? Yeah. Like, uh, and and why are these people being completely introduced here? Yeah. Please. Um. It's 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 insane. She um, she disappears off out of the book altogether. Suddenly, it's all about the outcast dead, pretty much. Yeah. Kai is obviously still significant to the story, but he's kind of just like a in a video game where you've an, an escort quest. You know what I mean? Like, oh is God, it, yeah, like yeah. he's just a, a guy that gets carried about by them for most of it. Um, uh-huh. And uh, what's the other thing? Oh yeah, the, like Nagasena, who's like yeah. this. He's basically an assassin, isn't he? Yeah, he, he's he's one of the Japanese name folks. He he's like a hunt master. He just finds the trail of this crusader host and just follows them through to the end point basically he leads everybody else to them and he's like he is like the way that he was flagged up he was like part of the like he was like one of the four prologues was focused on him or whatever it was and then he like sort of you know very um enigmatically bits about them popped up in the first half of the book one of which was referring back to some kind of standoff between him and some other folks and the, the the outcast dead, I think, or or the, the crusader host from which they came. And then he's like he's just a really like functional character, I thought, in the like I, I thought there was gonna be some deep significance to his role, but he's basically just uh, oh, no, he he is a Western teenager's view of a samurai. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. No, hundred percent like he um yeah, I was I was just thinking that as I read it. I sure I'm sure I saw some tweet or something recently where someone was like, "Here's a tip for writing good Asian characters: give them any other prime motivation than honor." Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and uh, he's a bit like that. Although I guess like, I guess in the context of these books, about seventy five percent of the characters have the main motivation of honor in some form or other. Um, that's true. Yeah, that's that's very true. I. I want to talk a little bit about uh, Artava, or Artava, whatever he's called. He is basically the person who is taking Kai from one thing to another to another and defending him. He's leading the Crusader host. He's he, ha- he has had this vision um, sent to him by Magnus that tells him that Kai is incredibly important. They don't know why, but. Uh, he he says that Kai is more important than all of the lives of the Crusader host, and all of these, the Crusader hosts are. There's one uh, Death Guard. There's one Luna Wolf. There's like three um, World Eaters yeah. and one Emperor's Children. Oh yeah, and I think that's I think that's right. As I say, names yeah. unimportant. <laughs> And if you've heard us talking about these legions, we can probably sum up their characteristics very quickly. The Emperor's Children guy likes finesse, likes, you know, mm-hmm. shooting people with finesse. The, yeah. the, the, uh, the World Eaters like, you know, rushing in for some brutal hand-to-hand combat. Um, the Luna Wolf, I suppose that's not... He just he kind of sneaks ba- it. He is barely fucking mentioned. Like, yeah. he, he has no part in this story whatsoever. Now that I'm thinking about it, what what is he for? He is well. There's a bit at the end where it sort of says, "Well, we'll get to it." Well, but he yeah. he sort of I don't remember this being particularly in a wolf thing, but he's kind of has a he sneaks about in combat sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, then the the death guard guy just likes he's very big. <laughs> he, he likes and yeah, he like he he's good at undoing like siege defense, no, like um, trench defenses or something like that. You know what I mean? Like he's good yeah. at like undoing earthworks or like. Some shit like that, which um, I can't remember, but I'm sure there was something to that effect alluding to him having the characteristic characteristic skills of his legion. Yeah, and and he has a um, uncharacteristic friendship with the emperor's children one. 
Oh, yeah. which goes nowhere and is one of the least touching <laughs> you know, friend relationships that I've ever, ever seen written down. Do you know one thing that was coming out of this book? When you get to the fight, the fights at the end, like the hand-to-hand combat, one-on-ones or sort of, you know, yeah. like small-scale, like individual battles, some of the worst shit, man, is the pattern they come out with when they're trying to like trash talk each other. It's like, oh, yeah. Fucking, it's just dire. Like, well, well, that's one thing I wanted to bring up about Artav is like he shares a lot of nods and winks and like knowing side talk with Kai, and there there is um there's a lot of like unspoken camaraderie between them, and all I was thinking of was just like this Artav is an absolute twat <laughs> because he he's leading these um this crusader host. And he's sharing nods and winks and like knowing phrases and like, yeah, we know about magic. These fucking losers, they are <laughs> fucking clue. And, and all of these, all of the Crusader hosts like know it. They're staring at him and just going, mate, I may be an absolute raging psychopath, but I'm not stupid. Like they literally say that three or four times. I'm crazy, but I'm not stupid. On Artava, like like sipping a glass of port, says, "Oh, really? Mm-hmm. You know." <laughs> this, this like this reminds me a bit of like a discussion we've had several times, and something that I forgot to mention with the last part of the book, right? So we're it's often like discussed about how this the warp is a great unknown mystery to everyone, right? <laughs> and this guy is a full like level twenty fucking sorcerer, right? Who just like <laughs> with every power. Like we're saying, yeah. and like, and uh, also in the last book, it transpired that like in the, the city of silence or was that what it was called? Um, there were they all the city of sight, the, the astropaths, yeah, were and all that were that they had full on exorcists basically, or were mm. one of them working on there, working on there to like, you know, cast out the warp demons. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that, but it's just it's just funny given our, some of our earlier discussions that like. On the one hand, this is a completely unknown thing. On the other hand, there are many professionals around the Imperium, um, yeah, yeah, who are totally but, expert in dealing with it. Um, but they weren't—they weren't like crusaders. They were more like a cleanup crew, you know. Like, yeah, the, the janitorial staff are just sweeping up the demons upstairs. <laughs> and once once they get finished, then we'll be able to pop back up there and see what's left of it. <laughs> but un, until until they're done, you know, scraping down the walls, yeah. we we don't know. But. Yeah, we like as a example of uh, Artava's use of uh, all magic and the warp being um, sort of indescribable and a, a, a Deus Ex Machina all the way through these things. Um, Artava, like somehow, he's in a side prison, like uh, with all of these side dampening things. Now those work ninety nine percent. Well, no, a hundred percent of everything we've read so far side dampening fields work perfectly he is chuckling to himself because he thinks <laughs> these these stupid fools think side dampening fields will work on me well they don't why well because they don't basically <laughs> because he would have no other means of escape if if it worked properly there, there um, were there was more than one occasion like that in this book where it was like this is a thing that normally never could happen you know, use yeah. this weapon against this defense, but in this case, it worked. Yeah. You know, like um, a hundred times, like Space Marines have been hit by particular weapons, but in, like when fired by humans, but on a, a number of different occasions, when it's been necessary, the humans just fucking take out Space Marines. <laughs> in this. Yeah, just um, like core holes through them. It sounds like we're really weighing into this book, but I actually enjoyed it. But um, <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll get to that in the end. Um, well, I, what I wanted to say, sorry, I keep on interrupting, but uh, just this sort of goes back to the plot, I suppose. Is um, Artava like uses his uh, magic, which he shouldn't be able to use, to alter some of his human jailers. They allow him to get out, and he kills the uh, custodians. The one of the world leaders says that he's going to rip out his spine through his stomach and he does it 
and Artava like sneers at him and goes no we need him alive <laughs> uh, but in the end they don't need him alive because he chops off his head and reanimates his head <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah that, that's a good illustration of the extent of his power <laughs> so this guy yeah. this like custodius guy has had his yeah like you say head and spine ripped out of the rest of his body and uh, Artava or whatever he's called uh, like sustains enough life in it so he can carry this head around and use it to like open the door, security doors and shit. <laughs> yeah, but more than that, because like, do you remember um, he alters his own genetics um, so that he appears to the gene scanners like he is the custodian yeah. because he's tasted his blood. Yeah. And, and, it's, and, it, yeah, and it, it, it says uh, nobody could see it under his armor, but he was different. <laughs> You're like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> and he, yeah, he uses that to like shut down the auto turrets and stuff. And they, they, so they, they, they swoop up Kai, Zoane, oh. start making their way out of the mountain, like slaughtering people as they go. Yeah. Um, and they capture a, they get into some sort of craft, and um, they take off, get shot down. They, yeah, they, they, they are in the air, and then some fighters come and uh, going to shoot them down but again Artava uses his possession magic and uh, gets one of them to shoot the other two down and fly his plane into the mountain yeah and uh, but uh, somehow they still have to crash land in the petitioner's city and that's uh, when I heard that name I was like okay this is when Roxanne comes into our own this is when we're going to find out what the whole fucking story with this Argo <laughs> shit is and uh, did they do that? <laughs> <laughs> not for a long time anyway if ever um yeah but there was a line there was a couple of lines here that one of which got the tune of the fresh prince of bel-air in my head for a long time after i read it <laughs> it said like uh kai was all disorientated when they were in the you know when they were walking through the the uh petitioner city and it said his mem- mental map spun flipped around and turned upside <laughs> <laughs> And there was also a line where they're like talking about the people um, who inhabit the city. And there was the line, a multitude of skin tones dwelled here from the exotic to the mundane. I was just thinking like mm. a scholar of uh, colonialism could really have a field day with, <laughs> with, with a sentence well, like that. Um, yeah. Ex- mundane skin tone. <laughs> like, yeah. For fuck's sake. Um, but, uh, unless, unless he means like, Unless he means like marbled green with LED lights, you know. (laughs) If if he means that as exotic, fair enough. I think think we know what he means. (laughs) My my skin tone is, uh, you know, augmented fluorescent teal. Um, Uh, I've got RGB skin. (laughs) But um, but yeah, the very notion of there being mundane and as opposed to exotic skin tones, it's a, a um, strange one. But um, uh, what was I say? in this yeah. crash, some fucking Marines die. It doesn't matter. Some are injured. I, yeah. Yeah. Some die. Ah, who, who knows? One, one of them um, gets badly injured, at least. Yeah. The, that's the um, the Death Guard one. Yeah. Um, and they are seen as they walk away from their ship they are seen by babu dakal remember him he becomes important again and we meet him and he basically wants them alive for their gene seed and he sends jota after them these are huge hulking monstrous humans uh, but they are roughly the same size well actually they're bigger than the space marines somehow yeah um, when this fight was like gearing up well are they bigger i don't know they're certainly big but um, maybe it does say that I can't remember, but they, Babu Takal is bigger. Oh yeah, he, he's he's. Well, we'll get to him. So they and I was like, yes, I'm up for this fight. This is like mm-hmm. these escaped prisoner space marines against like these genetically enhanced sort of cyberpunk gang yeah. members, and um, it's probably oh, like dread or something. Yeah, yeah. And they were they had gone to like a uh, doctor to try and get the Death Guard guy fixed up and Kai. But yeah. the doctor was like, can't do um, tra- uh, transhumans, mate. 
um, and I can fix this guy. Um, and, and like the doctors are sort of cynical. Uh, well, anyway, he's not really important. Um, so well, the, 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 sur- the surgeon, like Kai is near death. We didn't say, but he had his eyes ripped out. Oh, yeah. Um, and he goes to the surgeon and the surgeon um, makes him better by sewing his eyes shut and giving him an emetic. So he's just like shitting himself and vomiting like man. Oh yeah, Jesus! Yeah, but that, but that does it. That's fine. Um, and he's quite sassy. He says he can't save the Death Guard because he's got no fucking idea about what any of these organs <laughs> even do. And I was like, well, that's that's pretty cool. And that's when the Babu Takal's men arrive. And I was like, okay, it's going to be meathead against meathead. There's going to be some good ripping and 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 there was a big fight. Um... And the because like the space marines are like we are gonna fucking destroy these people like we do everyone yep. gets in our way and they kind of do but um well no only Jota does the uh, all the rest of them oh no no, no I, I sorry I, straight off. I was meaning the other way about like the space marines think they're gonna oh, right, fucking yeah. destroy everyone and they kind of do apart from him yeah and they um so he sort of mortally wounds well at at the end of it. The injured Death Guard and the Emperor's children, the two friends, they're dead. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so uh, and for some reason, I had I reread this two or three times. They allow Jota to just walk away. Yeah, that it, was. It says he walks away. That was completely. I was like, it, it seemed to make it clear that they were just like, right, you know, hands up. Well, it's just like. Yeah. Go. Even though there was like, as much as they depicted this Jota as very like powerful, there was like still like five of them. Yeah, and and, and all of the other ones are dead. Yeah, like they, Jota brought like thirty men. They're all dead. It's him against five um, fully armed and fairly angry space marines. Yeah, it was, um, that was bizarre. That I, yeah, I almost yeah. like because it was like they didn't. It was like he literally just strolled away. The way they, the way they, uh, it was described. It was weird. Um, There was a. It cuts away at this point in the book to a vision, and the vision. I think I wanted to bring it up in particular because I thought it was written really well. Um, We go back to Evander Gregoris, um, and he is, uh, he's the cryptothesian. He sort of takes all the little scrappy bits of. Um, telepathic information and builds them into uh, the pattern he calls it and he thinks that um, there's going to be after Magnus's like massive psychic breach of the of of earth um, there's going to be a lot of information floating around and he spends like just all his time trying to put stuff together just to see what it is and he has a, a vision that he knows to be of the future um, and it's um, of insects living in hives, um, working for the betterment of their greater hive, but living under such absolutely terrible conditions and fighting for, like, not fighting for anything more. In fact, fighting any attempt at changing and improving their situation, they will go out and actively try and destroy that. And it's like, it's a metaphor for like the, the the future of the of the empire, and then he sees um, this enormous golden throne with this horrible corpse in constant agony, um, living on it. The agony made all the worse because he accepts it gladly and willingly, and then this like horrible corpse vision turns and looks directly at Gregorus, so that he knows what's going on and it is really like a quite say frightening but it was written in a a really un the the tone of it made it just seem really unpleasant and and horrible um i just wanted to mention that as a really good section of the book well yeah in terms of the overall writing of this book i mean we've 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 sort of highlighted some bits we didn't like very much but I had the sense throughout this book that, like, just in terms of the little, um, you know, turns of phrase and, and metaphors and stuff and, and, and descriptive um, language, that Graham McNeil was really on form when he was writing this. Like, you know, I just, 
uh, most of it, I, I thought there was just a lot of really, you know, well, you know, uh, sparsely and well described, like sparse as in, you know, just with a with a line, yeah, vividly things vividly conjured up rather than like a, a clunky metaphor, you know, um, mm-hmm. and and I, on the whole, I thought it was in that regard, it was it was very well written. Um, uh, there's also like just a nice uh well we we liked uh, we said at the end of the last episode that you know we would probably tell people to read this book if we were going to tell them to read anyone um there is also a really nice bit but well we liked the the first bit because it was like based on humans and we could understand that the author seemed to have a a good grip on things um there is a bit later on where the monstrous killing of normal human beings is depicted as really monstrous whereas in previous ones it's often decked about in this is for the betterment of all mankind and therefore needs to happen um if, when they get back to the temple of woe uh, there's a good line about just the complete unnecessary uh, how unnecessary all of this was and how stupid and barbaric it was. And yeah, no, was just like, no, you're right. I don't think the books are generally like making that argument themselves of like, oh, this is necessary for the greater good, but it's kind of just unquestionably presenting the argument of characters yeah. if that is the case. Whereas here, there, yeah, there's an actual like. Sure, it's it's definitely part of, you know, part of the fiction. It's part of the narrative that um, the empire thinks it's fine to kill so many of its people. Um, but also no counterpoint is ever put to that. Yeah, which here, is, here which is the problem. Yeah, yeah, here I agree. Unusually, the book is actually saying something about that. Um, yeah, you know, which was good. And, uh, it, it says like Kai himself has this um, revelation that um, the empire is just a machine that that runs on human lives. Yeah, and uh, the human lives are valueless to the emperor and to the um, to the empire itself, but essential for its running, but only through their deaths. Yeah, and yeah. It's um, it's a the first time in this entire series that that sort of revelation has been made clear and not been immediately punished as like heretical and therefore you deserve to have your eyes boiled out or something like that. And I, I think that sort of, in a way, brings me back to the narrative now, which is so. So, sort of two things happen now. They, um, they want to, they ask the surgeon where they can take their fallen, you know, comrades, um, take their bodies. Uh, this is the the cast out of the space marines, and they um, get directed to the temple of the dead or whatever it's called, where. Um, where Roxanne had been in the first half of the book and Paladis and and all that and with the statues and all that where there's an incinerator for bodies so they go there but in the meantime Jota goes back to what's the guy's name again? Babu Dekal Babu Dekal and um, and yeah this is where like I thought this was really interesting uh, just this whole part of the, the story was he so Anyway, basically turns out you're alone there, Will. I'm afraid. <laughs> you know, like this. Um, no. He's like one of these like prehistoric, like the the pre-history Pre-historities thunder warriors. Yeah, and he's like, he, well, my my mental image of this guy was what's the what's like the the bad guy in Mad Max Fury Road called. Um, like Morton Joe? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just this sort of decrepit but yeah. simultaneously powerful um being. And I just like I thought this was cool. Like and so he's and but the the reason that this was brought to mind by what you were just saying was his story that he tells basically is that so he's he's basically trying to replicate some version of the Emperor's genetic creation of superhumans type of thing Mm -hmm. and that's what he's done with jota and that's what they're um you know that's what they're with and and the others i guess that were in the gang because they were also sort of Mm -hmm. extra big weren't they um and he is um so that's his kind of project and he talks about the history 
of um, how him and his the the warriors that he led like they were basically necessary for the emperor for his conquest of the earth but after that point they were basically well according to his telling i think they were basically killed by the emperor or yeah well um the, like the word purge is used and uh, he said that like it it's it does nothing for a legend um like the emperor's to have uh, an unstoppable army at your back that's that's not how you create a legend about yourself what you need to do is do it all yourself and be the last one standing so in order to be the last one standing he needed to kill all of his followers and and, and somehow uh, this this guy who um recounts that his name is in fact Arik Tyrannus oh yeah um and they all, like all of the Crusader hosts, they know this name of legend. Um, and he says he is probably the only two, only one to have survived. Maybe others have, but who knows? And he wants to trade for gene seed in order to perfect his, um, uh, his sort of scientific endeavors so that they can survive. Yeah, because so he turns up to the, they go to the temple to talk yeah. with the space marines who turned up at the temple and at first everyone was scared because they thought they were Babu the cow's men because they were wearing their yeah. armor that they took off them but turned out they weren't and they said they were there to to bury their their um their well to incinerate their um dead mm-hmm. companions and um there's quite a funny scene here where, where like the main the main world eater tries to have a conversation with a small boy oh yeah yeah this was very like I, I don't think it worked, but I was like, "Good on the author for trying something like this," because it was really weird. Because <laughs> like the kid, kid sitting there, uh, and uh, this is so. This was like the, the kid of the guy who, just an incidental character, really, but a man who got shot by one of by Jota, I think, in in the first yeah. half of the book. Um, but uh, he is sitting there reading a the pamphlet and like. Uh, <laughs> one of the world leaders goes over it's it's all, almost like a pixar scene <laughs> yeah. where like a, a, a massive giant monster is sitting beside on a on a fucking church pew <laughs> sitting beside this tiny little boy in his like little school uniform and cap uh, reading a pamphlet you know <laughs> yeah and, and then it basically sounds like tagore like he's like he didn't really know how to say things that weren't like battle cant or you know war yeah. cry yeah. Yeah, um, so he tries to have this conversation. It was quite funny. Um, uh, and so then, meanwhile, uh, sorry, throughout throughout the, the the story, really, Kai Zoane has we've talked about in part one. He's had these visions where he goes to this kind of fortress in his mind. It's like his place, you know, it's kind of in his dreams or whatever, in his visions. And he um, he is playing regicide with a character who we had a discussion about this last time and it transpires it definitely is the emperor yeah um and he uh so he wants to know what is in and, and kai kind of wants to tell him what's been hidden in his mind but it's basically it's sealed by his feeling of guilt over what happened in the argo mm-hmm. um and like it can be so that's why all the the mind drillers couldn't get into it because nothing they could do externally could, um, it's something he has to do from within inside himself. And this, in this bit, I think, I, <laughs> I was going to say, um, in his like dreams or visions, there's a, a big sort of roiling presence that represents either his guilt or a demon. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But I don't know if you've played uh, Death Stranding, but this like I have not had strong vibes of uh, a, a thing that happens in Death Stranding for anyone who's played that. Um, but uh, to me, anyway. Um, but he, yeah. Anyway, so that's going on throughout the story. But so, so we're back in the temple, and um, Roxanne, Roxanne and Kai meet, and <sighs> nothing. You know, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's it seems fairly unimportant. They meet, they talk about the old times. He feels a bit better. She feels a bit better. 
fine. And 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 yeah, having been like a central part of the first half of the narrative, she's like just has this bit part as really um uh-huh. in the story so it's is, just a walking magic eye. <laughs> <laughs> it was weird it's just weird, like the structure the the, the the difference between the two halves of this book was, was weird, but I did enjoy it anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, then through all the, like, all the... Everyone piles in through the roof. It's, yeah. Uh, and it's just a big battle. There's a big, big fight. <laughs> and, like, uh, there's just a lot going on in this book. And, like, sometimes towards the end here, it reached the point where, like, you know, when like a child's telling a story that they've made up, and it's like, and there's going to be this, and there's going to be, yeah. and this thing's going to happen, and then, and that's going to happen, and like yeah. it's, it sort of became. I mean, in a way, the whole second half of the book was a bit like that because it sort of swerved away from what the book was doing quite wildly in in the first half, quite wildly away from what the book was doing in the first half, and so suddenly, I mean, there's what alluded to in the first half, but suddenly, um, so in the middle of this big fight, right, what's going on? So. Bowie de Cal's there, um, the the space marines are there, obviously all the sort of innocent bystanders are there. The people representing the custodies and the emperor's kind of security forces are there, including this uh, guy with Nagasina and his like uh, follower guy who is a who is a what do you call them? Like the yeah, pariah. Pariah, yeah. Um and they um so they all sort of storm in. There's a massive big fight, loads of killing. Um, various of the space marines die in fights that are described in unnecessary detail. I don't mean I don't mean by that in their body. I just mean unnecessary to the story of detail. Um, yeah. And uh, and that's where all of the shit power comes in. And then um, basically, what you end up with is <laughs> well, in the midst of what is already a very chaotic scene, um, the uh, the ghost of Christmas future emerges from the from. The... <laughs> yeah, um, Muppets Christmas Carol. <laughs> this is what I had in my mind when that thing came out. Like out of the faceless angel statue thing, which there had been some illusions there being a, you know, a malevolent presence inside. What, what the what what the fucking point was this? I do not know what the point of that what, was. What was this doing? Like, why was this here? Uh, yeah, that's that. That's this is the main example of what I mean by like. There's already a lot in this book. Why did there need to be a demon in the statue? I just yeah. really don't think there needed to be. And um, so then there's this force comes out because uh, starts killing folks. I thought I sort of summoned it, kind of somehow. Uh, he, he he sort of he knows it's in there. He lets it out by his magic. And then he 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 for somehow he like does something where he forgoes his he like what does they even do here he like he undergoes some process whereby he can't be connected to the warp anymore but he the the um your the cartono the uh, pariah puts That's on right. like some kind of leather gimp helmet and shoots him with a psi weapon <laughs> and, and that basically like batters him down and like hurts him and and stuff like that is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I, I forgot about that. Yeah. So the so the, the the pariah. So there's a lot of shit going on here, basically. But at this point, uh, or around about here, the emperor finally, um, or no, Kai finally is able to deal with his guilt. So we have this um, scene of the the Argo, and he's sort of viewing it from the outside. This vision that he's having, and. He basically just sees all the stuff that went on. I was like, okay, wasn't really my fault. You know, there was just a big warp storm, um, and it all went to shit. And he sort of so he's released from his guilt. So then he sees this really weird sort of symbolic vision of presumably the emperor getting killed and sort of climactic scenes of the of the whole big narrative, I guess. Mm-hmm. And um, whether that's called like the red chamber or something, because it's all like it's all like you know weird like animals and stuff representing the different legions or characters or whatever. Um didn't really like that but I don't think that was um it was just a bit annoying to me that what what happens at the end of that? Um what does the vision show? I can't really remember, just a bunch of bad shit um mm. happening, presumably involving the Emperor. 
mm-hmm. dying. I mean, that's what that's all I can yeah. make out of it. And um, so then he has, sort of has a chat with the emperor after that. And the emperor sometimes like, well, you know, sometimes your only move is to defeat your opponent. And, you know, like you can't sort of survive or win yourself or whatever. And then... It's just, so, just not to let... Uh, the, the only... Sometimes the only option is to not let your opponent win. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's our stalemate, basically. And, and this is all this conversation is had through their game of regicide and um, that they're having in these visions. And he, um, what was I say, the Emperor, so the Emperor's like, cool, got my knowledge. Um, and, and and Kai, like, back in the real world, he, he realizes, like, shit, I can't let them, if the Imperial, like, forces get a hold knowledge within me um that's gonna like um demoralize the emperor's forces essentially there are there are and this has been set up a little bit before is that like the army who knows that they are guaranteed to win will be unstoppable the army who know they're guaranteed to lose won't fight for anything um and so he sees that and doesn't want anybody else to have that information so gets um roxanne to <laughs> take off her bandana and he looks her in the magic eye yeah and he falls down dead yeah uh, end of story <laughs> well then there's some <laughs> there's some weird sort of threads south of the future here where nagasina oh yeah this was another bit where it's like and then Rogel Dorn showed up yeah, <laughs> well, and then the Sisters of Silence showed up and then Rogel Dorn showed up and fucking everyone piles into this um, building and like Rogel Dorn uh, basically says to Nagasina oh I've got another job for you and then there's some reference to the Luna Wolf who is part of the crew having disappeared off and that's and it was just like that all felt so like just like um who cares a bit? Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, and also, um, there was like a mad scientist scene of Babu Dakal back in his lab. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sort of cackling to himself and says, I, I find it. I find the, the answer. And I wonder whether he had actually just kidnapped the Luna Wolf and was using bits of him. Uh, maybe, his, yeah. Uh, but, but who knows? Don't know. Uh, this. This series doesn't seem really ideal, uh, an ideal mechanism for like setting up stories like that and answering them. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, it, I'm not sure whether we'll ever get those threads picked back up. Who knows? Quite, I mean, quite possibly in some, maybe in one of the short stories or something, or yeah. you know, some spin-off audio book or something. But um, uh, so like it was. It was far from perfect the second half, but um, I would still say this is one of my favorites so far. Um, and just yeah, like I, I I really enjoyed the Petitioner City as we did in the first half. And I thought yeah. that was a really cool setting in the second half. And um, yeah, I mean there was a lot of wild stuff going on, as there usually is, and, and too much of it really. But um, a lot of it I enjoyed, and like the I really thought the level of writing um was was just better on the whole than it normally is and, and and certainly the um you know just the descriptive there was more of a um restraint about it and just better yeah. um more precise um choice of words and um i think i think like the, the first half it's funny how like we we've decided to just do this podcast in halves of books normally just because that's how much we can sort of read and uh in the time that we have but it seems that that is kind of how the books are written as well well sometimes they're in threes fours yeah well like it it, the first half was so different and like really great when the uh when he started writing about space marines and stuff and the prison i was like this yeah this at all and it was too slow and uh then it picked up towards the end and then i just started going mad and i was like oh i'm I'm quite enjoying this so that's fine i wonder if you know all of those different prologues i wonder if it was just like he he felt like he needed a character in the second half 
and he was like, well, I can't just like introduce them cold. So, okay, well, I'll write a prologue. And yeah. he goes, okay, well, what what's the, why are there space marines? Okay, I've got these space marines in prison. Why are they in prison? Oh, shit, I'll have to write a second prologue. And then like, just like third, fourth, <laughs> like, um, I wonder if there is some, like, there, I'm sure there is a right answer to this. Uh, why they're written like this why why one half can be so completely different from the next um i i'd be interested to know about yeah any any anybody who works for the black library editorial staff please let us know <laughs> it was a, it was uh it was very very strange um but yeah okay cool uh that's What's the next book will the next book is deliverance lost Ah, that's um, that's a uh, Raven's the Raven Guard book, isn't it? Yeah, it's got this big like flying guy in the front who's like, I don't know, like a cross between like Gerard Way and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger or something. Like it's just, <laughs> okay, it's just yeah, they're the like, emos. He's like, yeah, he's, he's like a big muscly goth emo guy. Um, goth, I know goths and emos are not the same thing. Sorry. But nobody knows the difference. <laughs> so we'll be doing that one next time. I guess we'll probably be on our usual schedule, I guess. Um, so, yeah, we'll, 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 we'll see you then.